Do you believe in the name of Jesus? Do you believe in the name of Jesus? Amen. I am thankful that we don't have to guess or wonder. I'm thankful that God has preserved his word for us, that we can know how to approach him. Aren't you thankful for the Bible this morning? Because the Bible is what reveals Jesus to us. And I'm, I'm thankful for blessed assurance. And uh, how many of you, that, so for me, that's one of my favorite all-time songs, Blessed Assurance. Anybody could, can testify to that? Thank you for leading us in that. And, uh, you know, I was also thinking this morning that um, I appreciate the faithfulness of God. Do you appreciate the faithfulness of God? And I appreciate the faithfulness of God's people. Um, I'm thankful as, as Steve and Shelly were up here singing that song, I thought, man, I have been listening to them sing that song for 30 plus years. That's awesome. We haven't changed a bit in 30 plus years, have we? Yeah. Faithful. God is faithful. Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? And God has proved his faithfulness by preserving his revelation to us. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as a church that we are biblically driven. Uh, by the way, my name is John. If you don't know me, I am blessed to serve as the pastor here, and I'm thankful to be a part of, of this church. We are walking through our core values, or another way to word that would be hallmarks of Hallmark. And so I am I'm thankful. I, I want to say this too. After, you know, I drove home last Sunday, and I just wanted to say when I drove out of here last Sunday, I just drove away from this campus grateful for all of you proud of, of all of you. Just thankful to serve in this church and be a part of this church. You know, last week we made a pretty big announcement that we're gonna be known as Hallmark Church moving forward. And, and I knew that in that announcement there were gonna be a lot of emotions, right? There's gonna be potentially some frustration or confusion or fear or sadness or maybe some upset feelings. There's all those on the spectrum of our emotions was gonna take place in this room last Sunday morning. And, it, and that's what happened, right? That's, that's what happened. We all experienced different emotions. And probably throughout the week, you experienced more of those emotions. And, but, but what I experienced last week was just a sense of unity and a sense of togetherness and a sense of we're going to pray this through, right? I heard some people say, I don't like it, but I'm going to agree with it. And I heard some people say, I'm not sure yet. I'm going to pray through it. And I'm, that's, that's what I'm so proud of this church is that this is a foundation of our church that we're going to be biblically driven. We're going to allow the Bible to drive us, not our emotions, not our traditions. What does God's word say? That's the most important thing. So I just want to say thank you as a church for allowing me just, I just felt a sense of proud to serve this church. But I also wanted to address a few questions because there was a lot of questions and, and questions are good, right? It's okay to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. It's good to, good to process. And one of those, well, I'll just, if you have the brochure, some of you probably still have it tucked away in your Bible. Some of you didn't get it. There's some on the connection desk. There's more in your connect group room. Um, but we went over this last week, but I just want to go over it again because I have learned in almost 30 years of marriage that sometimes when I think I'm clear, I'm not very clear. I have learned by raising two kids that sometimes when I think I'm clear, I'm not clear. Can you say amen to that? All right. 
So I just want to go back over on the back page. There's these two questions that we had assumed in advance you were going to ask because it's the questions we were asking, right? Number four is this. Are we still going to be Baptist? The answer is absolutely yes. Okay, we're still going to be Baptist. It will never change our message or our doctrine. Then it says we will still be clear about our beliefs. We'll continue to be biblically driven. Right, so we are a Baptist church known as Hallmark Church. That's pretty much it, okay? Number five, though, next question. Again, this is on the brochure. What will not change as a result of the update? Doctrinally, nothing is changing. Our bylaws and constitution are not changing. Our mission to lead people to find and follow Jesus is not changing. Our commitment to local international missions is not changing. Right, so again, we are a Baptist church known as Hallmark Church. That's pretty much it. Here's a great question, though. I, I find this very interesting and really kind of encouraging. Last Sunday, uh, when I was in the builder's class, this question came up. Then I heard after church that in our young adults group, a 19-year-old asked the exact same question, which tells me it's a great question if a 19-year-old and an 80-year-old is asking the same question. Probably everybody in the middle has the same question as well. And the question was, was this. If I invite someone to church and they ask me, what kind of church are you? Or what denomination are you? What do I say? I'm going to give you two answers. Okay? And I think depending on the conversation you're having, depending on how the Holy Spirit guides you, this is how you would answer. One would be, we're Baptist. That's it. It's pretty simple, right? We still have baptistic doctrinal position, okay? So we are baptistic doctrinally. So that's an easy way to answer the question. Another way you may answer that question is we're not really focused on denominational labels. We're just leading people to find and follow Jesus, okay? So again, I think you pick your audience, who you're speaking to, how the Holy Spirit directs you. Okay, a follow-up to that is the question has been asked, are we now non-denominational? No. We are what? You guys are so smart. We're Baptist. Okay? We're Baptist. All right. Very good. So um, let me just be like completely transparent with you. I told you we've been praying about this and talking about this for four years. And I'll be honest with you. I wanted to change the name completely. Okay? Because I didn't really like the name Hallmark. Because it reminds me of movies I don't want to watch. Right? You, you know, it's the blonde hair guy or the dark head guy, the city guy or the country guy, you know, right? I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. It, it was going so good. And then I just drove it off the cliff. Or greeting cards, right? Like my kids had a tradition with, with my mother that at Christmas, they would go to the Hallmark store and get an ornament every year since they were little. And you know what? No Hallmark stores anymore, right? So go to Amazon, I guess, and get it. So I was like, I don't really like the name. But then I started, in fact, a little while ago, we have a new member in our church, Ed Holland, a former pastor. And he said, have you ever researched what Hallmark means? I said, no, I just think of the Hallmark Channel, movies I don't want to watch. Let me, let me share with you what Hallmark means. What is this word mean. It goes back to 
a long hundred, hundreds of years ago. It was an official mark stamped on gold and silver articles in England to attest to their purity. It was a signifying purity, okay, like a seal. Another definition, this is in Webster's Dictionary, is a mark or device placed or stamped on an article of trade to indicate origin, purity, or genuineness. Maybe I kind of like that name now, right? Let, let me take it a step farther. In the Cambridge Dictionary, kind of expounded on this, dection, this, this word, as the word became more known, it originally was just for signifying the purity of gold and silver. It kind of expanded, and, and here's what Cambridge Dictionary says the word means. It's an attitude or quality that is thought to be typical of a person or an organization. An attitude or quality that is known in an organization. Again, so this is what we're walking through. What are the hallmarks of Hallmark? All right, so I have to confess. He won me over. I like the name again, okay? And I'm going to try to forget about those wonderful Christmas movies, okay? Hallmarks. So what are we known for? If we were to, if we were to stamp Hallmark, what is, what is genuine? What is pure? What is Right, what, are, what would people say of people of Hallmark? This is what I want people to say of people of Hallmark. Because you realize Hallmark is you, not this building. This building is where Hallmark meets. This building is where the church gathers. Are you guys tracking with me? What are we known for? What is this church known for? When I think of these core values that we are biblically driven, personally evolved, radically generous, outwardly focused, you understand that we as a church can't make that the statement if we as the church don't live out those statements. To just put them on a sign or to put them in our Discover Hallmark booklet as a great slogan means nothing if it's not we, the people, living out these core values. Because we are we, right? Hallmark is you. Hallmark is me. Hallmark is not this place. So if we as a church are going to say these are our core values then we as individuals who make up this church must live out these core values. And now it gets a little bit more real. What's Hallmark of Hallmark? What is something known for? What are we known for? So today we're gonna talk about biblically driven. I wanna make a statement. If Hallmark fails to be biblically driven, we have failed to be a church. We're just an assembly. If we fail to be biblically driven and preach the truth in love, then we're just a gathering. We're not a called out group of believers unifying together for the sake of sharing the gospel if we fail to be biblically driven. Do you agree with that? All right, I wanna give you three statements and I wanna make sure that we're all in agreement with these three statements. Do you agree with these statements? One is this. They're all together. If the Bible is truly God's word, then we should cherish it, study it, obey it, and fully trust it. If you agree with that, would you say yes? yes. Okay. If the Bible is truly the word of God, then it is the final authority for all matters of faith, practice, and morality. Do you agree with that? Say yes. yes. If the Bible is the word of God, then to dismiss it is to dismiss God himself. Do you agree with that? Yes. yes. And so as a church, we choose 
to stand on the word of God. It is our authority. It is the way we go. It makes me think of that old song. Remember as a kid when you used to sing the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. It's the word of God. What is it? There you go. I remember as a kid getting in trouble because when we get that, I stand alone, I throw my Bible and I jump on my Bible. It's what the song said. That's what was my argument. I stand alone. I'm a, I thought about doing that this morning, but I have grown up a little bit, a little bit. But at the end, we'd always yell, what would you say? Bible, right? Well, I wasn't. I was standing on mine, but all the good students were. We think about these statements that what we're stating is that we believe the word of God is truth. Do you believe the word of God is truth? And the reality is that in our culture today, we have run away from saying there is truth. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you today. I, I think I have a question that potentially could split the church today. Okay? And so I'm a little nervous about asking it. Whew, let me breathe. All right, on the screen is going to show up this image. How many of you would prefer In-N-Out over Whataburger? All right, who, who picks In-N-Out? Okay. As I look, it's people moved here from California. I can see you. That's true. How many of you pick Whataburger? All right, so here's the native Texans. All right. All right. Let's do it again. In-N-Out. Look around. Scan the enemy. No, I mean, all right. How about Whataburger? Okay, so are we in agreement that Whataburger has more in favor than In-N-Out? Okay, the truth is, Five Guys is better. <laughs> Hands down, Five Guys is better. Way more fries, you can't argue that. Five Guys is better. And because I stand here and I have authority today, the truth is five guys is better. Amen? I have no authority, apparently. Okay, if I'm buying. Okay, so majority in the room says Whataburger, Whataburger, however you say it. The truth is Whataburger is better, right? Okay. You guys are like a little wishy-washy here. The, the reality is there are some truths that are subjective. There are some truths that for you, yes, it is true, in and out is better. And a lot of that is based on probably experiences, emotions, you know, where you grew up. I'll be honest, I don't like Whataburger. In fact, I can't, I can't tell you the last time I had one. And you know why I don't like it? I had a traumatic experience at Whataburger when I was 15 years of age. I'm not lying. I'm not going to tell you the story. It wasn't really bad. But the first experience I ever had at Whataburger was not a good one. My parents cursed them. I mean, no, love them. My parents were moving me from the town I grew up in, the people I knew, at the age of 16, 
to some place called Sweetwater, Texas. The rattlesnake roundup of the world. Like, <laughs> this is what we're known for. And you know the first place I ate when I went to Sweetwater to visit? Whataburger. Boo. So as my emotions from a 16-year-old kid, I don't eat at Whataburger. It may be good. I don't know. I don't, I'm not eating there, right? So a lot of our subjective truth is based on our feelings and our emotions, right? So if you're from Texas, it seems like if you've born and bred, you know, Ms. Baird used to say in Texas that it's a, like a right, like it's a privilege, it's a responsibility to wave the flag of Whataburger, right? Okay, this has gone way longer than it should have. It didn't make me hungry. How many of you are going to have a burger after church today? Okay. The, the, <laughs> the seed has been planted. It's, listen to this statement. Subjective statements are based on one's opinion and emotions. But objective statements are impartial, nonpartisan, and based on multiple sources of verified facts. So what makes something true or not? Three things, and you, you may want to take a note or take a picture of the screen. What makes something truth? Truth is objective, truth is universal, and truth is absolute. And what we as a church believe is that God's word is truth. Our culture does not believe that. 64% of adults in America believe that truth is relative to the situation or to someone's feelings. That's scary. It's alarming. 83% of teens believe that truth is subjective. There is really not absolute truth. That's alarming, isn't it? 32% of those who are born again, who say they're born again, say they believe in moral absolutes, compared to just half, there's 15% of America that, as adults, believe there is an absolute truth. That there's an actual moral standard by which we should live. That's alarming. Do you understand what we're saying here? 9% of teens, born again teens, that's alarming. Only, so only 4% of teenagers believe there is truth, right? Everything is subjective. The reality is any culture, all cultures, humanity, there needs to be truth. There needs to be a moral standard by which we live our faith and our life. Because without a moral standard, without truth, life is just chaos. And you will see as you study human history, when the the moral code, whatever that truth may have been for that culture, when that is removed, it self-implodes. And do you see that in our culture today? Yes or no? Yes. yes. This is why it's important for you as an individual, for us as a church to acknowledge we believe the Bible is the word of truth, and we believe that we are going to be a biblically driven church. In other words, we are not going to adjust our uh, the Bible to fit our lives, right? We're going to adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Do you agree with that? Okay. 
That's not what culture believes, right? You know that. I'm not, I'm not really telling you anything you don't know. I'm just maybe putting some numbers to what you've already felt. So let me just make this one statement. I believe this, and this is what we, the church believes. The Bible is the only source of divine truth, and Jesus is the only Savior. Let me say it again. The Bible is the only source of divine truth, and Jesus is the only Savior. Do you agree with that? Yes. And that's what's going to drive us. That's what's going to drive our decisions, how we live, how we practice, what our life is going to look like. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You want to turn there? You can turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 4 through 17. Excuse me, 14 through 17. This is Paul writing to Timothy, his protege, if you will, his disciple. And in verse 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, excuse me, but you must continue the things that you've learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. Verse 15, 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. And then he explains, how, how do we get salvation? This one statement, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So interesting, just to point out very quickly, this is not the main part of this sermon, but what Paul is telling Timothy, what you've learned through the Holy Scriptures, they were able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And understand that Timothy did not have a copy of the New Testament in his hand at this time. He only would have had the Old Testament. The Old Testament reveals to us that Jesus is our Savior. This is what Paul is saying, that that they work in unison together, the old and the new. Then verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is proper for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 14, 6, we quote this, it seems like almost every Sunday. Jesus said to them, I am the way and I am the, what's the next word? Truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Bible claims to be truth. And, you know, as we think about the evidence that the Bible is the word of God that leads us to divine revelation, this is God's revelation of himself to us. I think of the eternal, internal evidence, 66 books written over three continents, three different languages. It covered 1,500 years of time, 40 different authors, and yet we see a unified message that Jesus is the only way to God. We showed this slide. I think one of the greatest evidences of the Bible and the validity of the Bible is prophecies. We showed this slide at Christmas, actually, when we talked about the first advent. And and there's over 300 prophecies that the life and, and the birth, the life and the death of Jesus fulfilled. And and here's just a few lists of these. Isaiah said he'd be born of a virgin. Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Hosea said he'd be sent Spend time in Egypt. And you see all of these 
prophecies hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born fulfilled in the events that took place. And in Matthew, you read, and it happened like this so that it would be fulfilled as the prophet said. They even claim it and say it. Remember, the prophet said this, Jesus fulfilled it. Fulfilled prophecy is one of the strongest internal evidences of the validity and the authority of Scripture. Now, there's also external evidences, and we don't have time to unpack all this, but when we think of, we showed this chart actually back in September, and we talked about the reliability of Scripture. When historians historians decide whether something is accurate or not, historically accurate or not, or they have weight, or they have validity, they'll have this test that they run them through, and, and, and you can see some of these things that you know through history have been Uh, quantified and they've been researched and there's been an agreement. And in every one of these instances, the the research or the, the weight and the validity and the preponderance of evidence for the Old Testament and the New Testament manuscripts by far outweighs the standard of any of these other historically accurate books. I think of, and we could go through the whole list, but there's there's one thing, you know, that you can see that oftentimes in history, science has been a disagreement with Scripture. And as science gets smarter, they realize, oh, the earth is round. Isn't that what God said it was? So if there is scientific, and I give scientific evidence in quotes, against Scripture... Science just hasn't caught up with Scripture yet. But the number of transcripts transcripts that I've found, the date in which they were written, all these barometers in which would classify something as accurate or not, the Scriptures blow them away. The historical accuracy, the survivability of it. You realize that the Bible has been the most tacked piece of literature in all of human history? All the way back to Roman emperors, communist dictators, modern-day atheists, and yet still, the Bible is one of the most published books of all of human history. The most attacked, the most published. Does that sound like a work of God to you? It does to me. And it reiterates and echoes the words of Jesus. Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. In other words, let's say this again. We don't adjust the Bible to fit our lives. We adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Truth number one today. We have truth. It's it's God's word. Do you agree with that? We have truth. It's God's word. Okay, so I think for the most part, we're in agreement. We have truth. It's God's word. The second truth today may be a little more difficult for us. And that is, we should live out truth. Like if we're saying, this is the word of God, it's my moral compass, it's the standard on which I live, it's accurate, it's truth, 
then when we are faced with a situation on how or how we shouldn't act or respond or live, then where do we go to find truth? Where do we go to find truth? God's word. And if we find truth in God's word, then we should adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Truth. Do you agree with that? Okay, it's easy to agree with. But do you live it? Do you live it? I want you to turn to James chapter 1. Okay, we were going to read Matthew chapter 7, and Matthew chapter 7, basically Jesus says, if you, if you build your house on the rock, it'll stand. If you build on the sand, when the storms come, it'll fall away. Like, and basically the understanding of Matthew 7 was that if we hear God's word, we ought to obey God's word. Wise and foolish. Live by God's commands, you're wise. Don't live by God's commands, you're foolish. But, but for sake of time, let's go to James. And understand that James here is the half-brother of Jesus before death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. James did not believe in Jesus' ministry. He was not a follower of Jesus. I find that interesting. When James saw the resurrected Jesus, he became a follower of Jesus. That's powerful. The brother of Jesus. Now, most of you know, I have a twin brother. There's um, debate on one of us being evil twin and one of us being good twin. Lots of debate. I mean, it's pretty close. Never once did I think my brother was Jesus or the Messiah. Even if he was the good twin. I get it. But, but we also understand Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And I wonder what the tension was like for those brothers. James, like, oh, yeah, he's the good one. I don't like Jesus. He's never messed up. I get grounded from my Nintendo all the time, but not Jesus. Yeah, they had Nintendo back then. But when, it, it reminds me in Acts chapter 5. And we're not going to turn there, but Acts chapter 5, Peter and John have been arrested. They've been saying, uh, well, well, the religious people gathered, don't speak the name of Jesus. We can't help but speak the name of Jesus. And then the religious people kind of had a sidebar over here. Hey, the miracles that they did actually happened. We can't deny it. So what are we going to do? Do we kill them? Do we keep them in prison? Because we can't deny what we have seen or what the people have seen. And one of the religious leaders said, hey, you remember years ago, there was this guy and he had a following. And when he died, the following stopped following. And then there was this other guy, he had 400 men and, and remember we stood against him and he died and those 400 men, you know what they did? They never spoke of that movement again. It died out. And he said, in wisdom, if this man, Jesus, if this Peter and John are followers of this man, Jesus, if this is of God, you don't want to be in the way of it. But if it's of man, 
It'll be just like those other two. It'll die out. One of the greatest evidences of Scripture in the resurrection of Christ is the transformation of the people who lived during that day. There were 500 witnesses, it says. But James, the brother of Jesus, in my opinion, is one of the greatest evidence of the validity of the resurrection. Because pre-resurrection, James was not a follower of Jesus. Post-resurrection, when he had seen what we just sang about, the risen Savior, oh, what a Savior. Wonderful Jesus. And this is what the brother of James tells us. Verse number 21. Where are we at? All right. James 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What you have learned, what's been put in you. As we say here often, we want you to get in the word until the word gets into you. The implanted word, what you've learned, what you've meditated, what you've memorized. Which is able to do what? Save your souls. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away immediately, forgets what kind of man he was. That would be like this morning when I got up and I looked at the damage that had been done over the last few hours of sleeping. And I would not. How many of you, your hair, when you get up in the morning, is just like it was when you went to bed? All the bald men raise their hand. All right. Sorry, Blaine. I just, you, you did it. I just like, oh, okay. Caton did too, but he has a hat on. It took me a second. That's not, that's not my plot in life. When I get up, okay. That's what it's saying. Like if, you, if I show up on Sunday morning looking like I show up, like I woke up at five o'clock this morning Maybe I'll do it next year, next week. How many of you would like me to come next week without combing my hair? I'll just take a picture and show you, okay. <laughs> Verse 25. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word, the scripture, the truth, and continues in it and is not forgetful here of the word, but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. You see what James is saying is that blessing is on the other side of obedience. Don't just come to church and listen to the word of God. Go be a doer of the word of God. If you believe the word of God to be truth, then live it out. Go make disciples of all nations. Next week, I'm excited about next week. We're going we're gonna to talk about our... Um, core value, our hallmark of hallmark of being personally involved. And I want you, I'm, I'm prepping you right now. If you are not actively right now in this, this moment, in your prayer life, praying for someone to be saved, if you don't have one in your, you know, your circle of influence, whether that's your neighbors, coworkers, classmates, teammates, family, if you don't have someone right now that you are praying consistently and persistently for God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel, I'm, I'm warning you this week. Pray this week. If you don't have someone, start praying, God, give me someone. Reveal someone that you want me to give the gospel to. Because that's a part of being biblically driven. I'm not just going to show up to church and say, oh, oh, what a f wonderful Savior. Jesus, blessed assurance. 
Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I, I love that. It is one of my favorite songs. But if it doesn't, if the words of that song don't motivate me to go tell someone else that they can have blessed assurance, then shame on me for being emotional in this room and singing to the God and the truth that I really don't live out. Can you agree with that? You don't have to like it, but you can agree with it. So when we think about taking the name Baptist off the church sign, there's no one on staff, none of the board members that think that just because the sign doesn't say Baptist anymore, that we're going to be, oh, flooded with people. No, because the responsibility to tell the people is me and you, not the sign. Can you agree to that? This church will reach this community and your community when you and I tell people about Jesus. And if we claim this is truth, understand out of the core values, biblically driven, that is the core value. If we live a biblically driven life, we will be radically generous. We will be personally involved. We will be outwardly focused. And those will be hallmarks of hallmark. I'll make a commitment to you today. My commitment to you as a pastor is to lead this church to be biblically driven. My commitment to you today as the member of this church is that I would live my life to be biblically driven. My challenge to you today is that you would live your life biblically driven. And if you are willing to make that commitment today, would you just stand with me? You're making a commitment to live a biblically driven life. We have one more, screen, one more slide on the screen I want to show you. It's a statement I already made. We will not adjust the Bible to fit our life, but we will adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Could we read that together with a little conviction this morning? Are you ready to do that? Don't read it if you don't mean it. Ready? We will not adjust the Bible to fit our life, but we will adjust our lives to fit the Bible. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And I want to give you this morning a, a time to pray and seek the Lord. What does that mean for you today? For some of you, it may, hey, I'm going to sign up. I'm, I'm going to go right after this. I'm going to go to Discover Hallmark. I'm going to, I'm going to learn what it means to be a member. For some of you, maybe I need to take the next step in me and baptize, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the baptism class today. I don't know. But, but I wanna encourage you right now, just in this moment as we're standing, if you wanna come forward and pray, do it right now. Just come to the altar and pray. If you wanna stay seated and pray, then, then sit down and pray. But I'm gonna invite you right now, if you're making a commitment to be biblically driven, that you would come to the altar would pray. Right now, just come. If you can't walk forward, I understand. Just sit down. Sit down and pray where you're at. 
I'm gonna adjust my life to fit the Bible. And you have a serious conversation with God this morning and ask God, what part of my life needs to be adjusted? What needs to be realigned with your spirit and with your word? And I'm gonna do that, Lord. I'm gonna seek you. I wanna ask everybody, if you're at your seat, just to stand and I'm gonna pray for us. Then we're gonna close this service out with just a, a song of worship. As is always the case when, when we're in the middle of a song, you, you're always welcome to come forward and pray. You're always welcome to sit and sing or sit and pray. But the song simply this morning that we're gonna close with says, Lord, we're, we're gonna make room for you. We're gonna make room for you to make changes in our life that we would posture our heart towards God and towards those who are far from God, that we're gonna align our lives with the authority of scripture. God, we thank you for this church. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of the members of this church for many years. Lord, I also thank you for your faithfulness to your church. And Lord, I pray as a church that our hearts would come together unified around the gospel of Jesus, that this word is the only divine revelation of Jesus. And Jesus is the only Savior. I pray, Lord, whatever has pushed you out, that we would push it out and make you 